Well, let's open our Bibles together to Mark 13. God's word to us this morning is the last portion of Mark 13, the final sermon that the Lord Jesus preached before his death, burial, and resurrection. Follow with me as I read, beginning in verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Jesus ends this last sermon that he ever preached with that simple two-word exhortation, stay awake. He tells us in no uncertain terms to be watchful, to live the Christian life on the alert, to not be drowsy or lulled to sleep by worldliness or the neglect of our souls. We do not know when he will return. That he makes crystal clear. Therefore, we must stay awake spiritually. In the foreword to Brian Hedge's book, simply titled Watchfulness, Donald Whitney writes this. Back in 1991, as I was finishing the original edition of Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life... J.I. Packer graciously agreed to write the foreword. After he had done so, he encouraged me to consider including a chapter on watching. It was too close to publication to add that much material, but it wouldn't have mattered if I'd been given the time. I wasn't even sure what Packer referred to by watching. That's the way it is for most of us. The word watchfulness isn't much a part of our vocabulary. It's not on our radar, and if it is, it's probably just a very small blip. Brian Hedges writes in his book, Watchfulness, in recent decades, the evangelical church has been 
has seen a resurging interest in the practical aspects of Christian spirituality. Books on spiritual transformation and the spiritual disciplines line our shelves. Many of these are helpful, offering wise instruction on practices such as meditation, prayer, and fasting. But one discipline rarely appears in these catalogs of devotional habits. And that is watchfulness. Yet watchfulness is as necessary to a healthy spiritual life as meditation and prayer. Jesus tells his disciples to watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The letters of Paul, Peter, and John sound the same note, urging us to exercise moral vigilance and watchfulness in prayer. And Hebrews commands mutual watchfulness to churches and exhortation while also reminding us to obey those leaders who keep watch over our souls. So spiritual watchfulness is something that we have been seeing as a reoccurring theme in this sermon of the Lord Jesus. For example, verse 5, see that no one leads you astray, or verse 9, be on your guard, or again in verse 23, be on your guard. And now he says again in this last portion, be on your guard, stay awake, be watchful. Jesus calls us to live each day in light of his return. While we wait for his coming, there are two ongoing disciplines that you must practice. Number one, rest your faith on the enduring word of God. Verses 28 through 32. Now here Jesus, the master teacher, uses a familiar tree to teach an object lesson. And he's saying to those who are listening that that the fruit appears on the fig tree around the same time as the leaves. That's something that they know. And therefore, Jesus is simply saying this. When the fig tree puts out its leaves, it is a sure sign that summer is near. It's an indication that these events are about to come to fruition. And so he says in verse 29, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. And truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. As we've noticed earlier in this chapter, that Jesus' predictions contain multiple fulfillments. Therefore, it seems again to make the most sense to understand these verses this way. It refers to the impending destruction of the temple that the chapter begins with. That's something that the generation alive at that time would witness. But it's also referring to many predictions that Jesus makes in this chapter that have not yet come true, that have not yet come to pass on this earth, 
And so it is also speaking to the generation that will be alive when the tribulation period transitions from that gradual beginning of labor pains to intense labor right before birth. And the knowledge of when this happens is confined to the Father. Now you say, well, how can that be? Jesus is God. How can he not know the time he's coming back? Well, this is in reference to his humanity. Remember that when the Son of God came to this earth, took upon human flesh, he voluntarily chose not to freely exercise all of his attributes all of the time. And so, just like any other Jewish boy or girl, he had to learn things. He had to learn the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And that just blows our mind. How does the Son of God have to learn that stuff? Well, because he's 100% God, and he's 100% man, and in his humanity, he had things to learn so that he could be our sympathetic high priest and true substitute for our sins. And so, in his incarnation, in his humanity, even the Son didn't know when this time would be. It's not for us to know the time, but it is for us to know that what we need to know has been revealed to us in God's word. And Jesus says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And what Jesus is doing here and throughout the Gospels is he is equating his words with all of the scripture that comes before him. He is speaking authoritatively the very word of God. As Isaiah the prophet says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Everything we see around us is changing. And everything we see around us will one day pass away. This will never pass away. This will never pass away. Two things will live forever throughout all of eternity. God's word and the souls that Jesus saves. That tells us a little bit about what our priorities ought to be in this temporal world. So, Jesus' predictions here are coming true soon for the generation that is there And yet there's so much more that still needs to be fulfilled. The point then is, trust the word of God. Do not fret over matters that God has not revealed to us. Understand that there is more than enough in God's word that he has revealed that we are not doing. To not worry about the things that we wish he would have revealed. Rest your faith on the enduring word of God. There's a second discipline. Ready yourself for the imminent return of Christ. Now, last week we recited our church's statement of faith 
in regard to the return of Christ. And there was language in that statement of faith, this phrase, that the coming of Christ demands constant expectancy. We otherwise use the word imminency to refer to this. We believe that the return of Jesus is imminent. What that means is it could come at any moment while we're going about our daily lives. We have to be ready. Ready yourself for the imminent return of Christ. Matthew's gospel says it this way, that it will be like in the days of Noah. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will it be the coming with the coming of the Son of Man. Luke's gospel says it this way. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Over and over and over, Jesus says, stay awake. Let your body sleep. That's part of how God has created us. But make sure you stay spiritually alert. And so Jesus says in verse 33, be on guard. Keep awake. Stay alert. Live in a state of watchfulness because you do not know when this time will be. Jesus then tells a simple parable that everyone can understand. It says in verse 34, It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. You don't know when the master is going to come. Jesus is the master in this parable. And we don't know when he is going to come. In the evening, in the morning, at midnight, when the rooster crows. And if you're not alert, he's going to come and he will find you asleep. Spiritually asleep. Not paying attention. Jesus says, pay attention. I believe this is a big reason that God has mixed a healthy amount of mystery into the prophecies of the end times. Because by nature, we are people who like to figure out every detail. I mean, some of you are hyper planners. 
control freaks who, who have to know every little detail ahead of time or, or your heart just is filled with anxiety. And, and others of you are carefree. You're flying by the seat of your pants. And, and somewhere in the middle there is walking in wisdom and watchfulness and trusting God who has all things under control. And so Jesus speaks to both extremes. He basically says, you don't know the time, so you have to always be ready. Always be ready. And the final sentence of the sermon is very clear. It says it all. Stay awake. Stay awake. How do we do that? How do we stay awake spiritually? Well, let me show you from other scriptures four principles, four ways to stay spiritually alert. First, reorder your priorities to reflect eternity with him. Look at 1 Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 has a lot to say about the day of the Lord, which is a title given to that day when Jesus returns to judge the world. Notice what he says. There will be those who are, who are mocking believers because Jesus hasn't come back yet, and here we still talk about it. And Peter says, you don't understand the reason God is being so patient God is being so patient because he longs for more sinners to turn to repentance, to turn to him in repentance. And then he says in verse 11, we'll pick it up in 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So similar to the parable of the master showing up whenever he shows up, but the thief, you never know when the thief is coming. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar That sounds like Isaiah 40, doesn't it? The heavens and the earth are going to pass away, but God's word will never pass away. The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved... What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? That's a logical question, isn't it? If everything that we see is one day going to to dissolve when when the Lord brings fire down upon the entire world, he won't bring water this time because remember that's what the rainbow is a promise of God will never destroy the whole world with a flood again but God does say he is going to burn up everything we see how should we live how should we live if that's what is going to happen to everything that we see well look what he says We should live in holiness and godliness, waiting. That's like being watchful. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. 
because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting. We are waiting. There's watchfulness. We're waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Oh, what a day that will be. Oh, what a day that will be when God gives us the new heavens and the new earth for believers to enjoy for all eternity. Paul says something similar in Titus chapter 2. He tells us that the grace that saves us is also the grace that sanctifies us. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And he says, how do we do this? By waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So All of that should lead us to want to reorder the priorities of our life. To be less focused on everything that we see here that is temporary and fixed upon the future glory that is to be revealed to us when Jesus comes again. Jesus has saved us by his blood. The Father has welcomed us into his family adopted us into his family. We shall live forever with him. We should be reordering the priorities of our life to reflect that eternal life. Number two, be eager for his return. Be eager for his return. Look at 1 John. Just one book to the right in your Bible. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. That's what we are now. We are in union with Christ. Our identity is children of God. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. We know this, John says. Well, what's the application? Verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him, who's him? The Christ who is coming again. He who hopes in the Christ who is coming again will purify himself just as Christ is pure. That's part of being watchful. When Jesus comes again, we don't want to be ashamed at his coming. We want to be ready for him. We want to be walking in the way of the word of God. That will produce an eagerness for his return. As John ends the Bible in Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, after he receives this massive revelation from Christ 
that we know as the book of the Revelation, he says, he who testifies to these things, that is Jesus, says, surely I am coming soon. To which John responds, even so, come, Lord Jesus. He was eager. John was eager to see the return of Christ. Thirdly, abound in serving the Lord with steadfastness. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, otherwise known as the resurrection chapter because it's the chapter in the scriptures that contains more about the doctrine of the resurrection of believers than any other. It's really more about the resurrection of believers than it is the resurrection of Christ, though it's built upon the foundation of the reality of Christ's resurrection. But notice what Paul writes in 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, we shall not all die. Some will be alive when Jesus returns. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Well, in light of that, then, what should we do? Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What that means is, not only does it have massive value in this life, blessing in our lives and and in the lives of those that God uses us to touch, but it also has incredible blessing in the future when God rewards his faithful servants. So abound in serving the Lord. Don't be half-hearted in your service to Christ. Give it all you've got. We only have one life to live. Let it be that which counts for Christ. And then number four, look forward to receiving rewards from him for your labors. Turn to the right, one book, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We have here doctrine concerning what is referred to as the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for Christians only. Okay? And we are not judged for our sins... For Jesus has already been judged for our sins, but we are judged as to what we did with the stewardship of the Christian life that was given to us. So I will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ for what I did for Christ from the moment I was converted by the grace of God in the spring of 1984 to the time that I see Jesus. And I stand at this judgment seat of Christ. And so, Paul writes, we are always of good courage, verse 6. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. 
So we're with the Lord as believers when we're on this earth, but we're really with the Lord when our bodies die and our spirit goes to be with him. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Do you sometimes ache so much for heaven? We should. So whether at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Why? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The life that we have been given in Christ, from the moment of our conversion to Christ, to the very last breath we take, is a stewardship from God. And every stewardship from God requires a future accounting. And that's what the judgment seat of Christ is. It's where we will give an account for what we did as believers in Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns, he will judge the earth. But at the same time, he will reward his faithful servants. Revelation eleven eighteen says of the future judgment, it is the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and Great. See, it's not about whether you are great or not. The issue is always faithfulness. That is what we will be judged by. That is the one basis of the judgment. It is required of a steward. 1 Corinthians 4, 1, that he be found faithful. And what does Jesus say? That if we're faithful, one day we're going to hear, well done, thou good and great servant, right? No. Well done, thou good and what? Faithful servant. Faithful. We do not know when Jesus will return. We know some things about the condition of the world at the time, but we do not know the time. Therefore, we must stay awake. We must be alert. We need to remember what Jesus said to his disciples immediately before he ascended to heaven when they wanted to know, when are you going to set up your kingdom, Jesus? And he says in Acts 1-7, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses. That was just a really kind way for Jesus to say to them, it's none of your business when these things come to pass. What is your business 
is the work of evangelism. Gospel ministry. And the same is true for us. That is to be our focus. The main business of why we are left here on this planet is to do the work of evangelism that God, the Holy Spirit, may rescue sinners from eternal punishment. Jesus saves every kind of sinner. Aren't you glad? Jesus saves all who come to him in repentant faith. Jesus said in the first part of the sermon, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. Then all that other stuff will come. Our focus is on the ministry of the gospel. Leave the things that we don't know to God who knows all things. God, we thank you for the promise of your grace and forgiveness in Christ. Jesus has already paid it all. And so we claim the promise of your word that as we have confessed our sins to you, you have forgiven us and you have cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Father, help us to be watchful Help us to stay awake, to not fall asleep. Help us to make ourselves ready for the return of our Savior. Do whatever work needs to be done in our hearts. Perhaps there's someone here today who has not yet trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord, has never come to you with empty-handed faith, And and said, I'm a sinner. I need your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. And I believe in Jesus. God, may this be the day that the Spirit of God moves them to come to Christ. Lord, we need you. We don't even know how much we need you. But help us to become more alert, more watchful, more ready. For when Jesus comes again, in his name we pray, amen.